Again, it's Mother's Day. We all know that moms take risks and make sacrifices. And so I picked the passage for this morning with that in mind. Now, this is not a story about a mom, but it is an account of a woman who takes a risk, sacrifice, and sacrifices her safety um, for the sake of her people. It's a story about Queen Esther. Uh, the scripture for this morning is Esther chapter 4, verses 10 to 17. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, the book of Esther is about halfway through the Old Testament. It's two books before the Psalms. Or you can look up Esther chapter 4, verses 10 to 17 on your phones. One intriguing fact about the book of Esther is God is not mentioned at all in the whole book. He's not referenced, God is not worshiped, God is not prayed to, there are no outright miracles done. It's almost as if like God has disappeared to behind the scenes. And this book is important for us because oftentimes we wonder, where is God? Because it sure seems like God has disappeared to behind the scenes. God's activity in this book is the closest thing to our experience that we find in Scripture. God's work isn't overt, but God is at work behind the scenes. Our scripture reader for this morning is Annabelle Visser. So Annabelle, go ahead and make your way up to the podium. As she does, I'm going to ask if you're able to please once again stand, face the center of the room. Uh, we read from the center of the room to remind us scripture is to be central in our lives. We stand because we believe. This is the word of God. And so Annabelle, whenever you are ready, please read from Esther 4. Verses 10 to 17. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will, will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go. Gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Annabelle, thank you very much. You may be seated. Uh, when I lived in Southern California, I liked to go to California Angels baseball games. I, while I don't find it enjoyable to watch baseball on TV, I do like going to the ballpark. There is something about the atmosphere of a major league park that is fun for me. One time I was at a game, I went to the concession stand, got like a hot dog and a Coke, something like that, and I paid with a $20 bill. And the lady gave me my change. It was like 10 or 12 bucks in change. And um, I didn't want to get my wallet back out because of all the people around me. So I just took the change and I just put it in my pocket. Um, and so I gathered my food, went back to my seat. And after I got back to my seat, I took the money out of my pocket to put back in my wallet. And I realized I had the 10 to $12 in change and my original $20 back. Um, and I'm pretty sure what happened 
was that the lady who gave the lady gave me my $20 back when she gave me my change and I didn't notice that until I was back in my seat and now I had a decision to make what do I do with this free $20 that I just got do I keep it or do I go back to the stand and return it now some people would call this a moral dilemma it's not a moral dilemma let me explain what a moral dilemma is a moral dilemma is when you have to make a decision about two right things. For example, if I only have time to do one of the two following things, I either help my daughter or I help my mother. Now, I realize it's Mother's Day and you say help your mother, but I'm talking about a normal everyday career, okay? Well, I have a moral obligation to help my daughter. I have a moral obligation to help my mother. That's a moral dilemma, okay? Um, do I keep the $20 or do I give it back? That's not a moral dilemma. There is only one right thing to do. The only right thing to do is return the $20. And so the question was, will I do the right thing? And I beginning, I be, you know, I was thinking, well, you know, it was her mistake not my mistake, um, I would have to walk all the way back to the concession stand and engage in a very kind of awkward conversation. Um, the angel organization, they have much more money than I do. Um, none of those reasons made keeping the money the right thing to do. So I ate my hot dog, waited for the inning to end, went back to the concession stand and went up to the lady who served me and I said, hey, I was here a little while ago, I paid with a 20 and you gave me my change and you gave me $20, my $20 back and I just wanted to give it back to you. And she looked at me like I had lobsters crawling out of my ears. It was just the weirdest thing in the whole world. What am I, what is this guy doing? Um, so she took the money, put it in the till, I walked away, so I did the right thing. Just for the record, I don't always do the right thing. My parents are here, they have lots of stories about times when I did not do the right thing. I'm not gonna point them out to you because I don't want you to hear those stories. I want you to hear the stories that make me look good, all right? Um, but it was a little moment of truth. Will I do the right thing or not? Now Esther is facing a moment of truth. Will she do the right thing or not? But this isn't a little moment of truth. This is a major moment of truth. Now, if you don't know the story of Esther, let me just give you the setting. Esther takes place 470, 480 years before Jesus. The Jews are in exile. They're in Persia. The king of Persia is King Xerxes. The queen of Persia is Esther. Esther is Jewish, but... The king and the palace do not know that. She has kept her ethnicity a secret. Esther was raised before she was queen by her cousin Mordecai. Now, the king's number one advisor, his name's Haman. And Haman convinces the king to kill all of the Jews in the Persian kingdom. Basically, he was um, putting together a holocaust. And so Mordecai tells Esther... She must go to the king and beg for mercy. And that's where we picked up the story. So Esther's moment of truth, it's not about returning 20 bucks. It's about trying to stop a holocaust. Haman has used his position to convince the king to kill all the Jews. Mordecai pleads with Esther to use her position to save them. What will Esther do? This is her moment of truth. Will she do the right thing? 
most of the time, we respond to moments of truth with reluctance. Doing the right thing requires risk and sacrifice. Let's be honest. We don't like risk and sacrifice. So often our first response to our moments of truth is reluctance. And reluctance is Esther's first reaction. Mordecai has pleaded with her to intervene. And she sends a message back to Mordecai. And we read it in verses 10 and 11 of the passage where it says, Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death, unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. For security reasons, the king didn't just let anyone into the inner court. You had to be summoned, even if you were the queen. And anyone who approached the king uninvited would be put to death, unless the king spared them. Esther had not been summoned for a month. And for her to make an appearance, to act on behalf of her people, the Jews, which again, the king doesn't know her ethnic background. So if she goes to make an appearance, she is putting her life at risk. He could have her killed even before she was able to speak a word. Now, if I was in that situation, my reasoning would be, well, you know, if God wants me to intercede, then he'll have the king summon me. And if the king summons me, then I'll bring this whole thing up. But if the king doesn't summon me, I guess that means God doesn't want me to bring this up. You know, that would be how my reasoning kind of would go. We are talking about the potential death of hundreds of thousands of Jews. And as we learned in the 20th century, millions were killed because others didn't do the right thing right away. This is her moment of truth. Why is she hesitating? Well, because she could die. Uh, she doesn't want to die. It would be nice if doing the right thing never cost us anything. Wouldn't that be nice? If we could do the right thing and we wouldn't have to risk, we wouldn't have to sacrifice, but doing the right thing almost always costs us something. And when we don't want to pay that cost, we are reluctant to do what is right. Going back to my $20 story, you know why I didn't go back to the concession stand right away? Why I hesitated? Because I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to go back to the concession stand. I wanted to watch the game. I didn't want to go make that trip all the way back. I didn't want to have to explain myself to the cashier. I felt like a fool giving up the free $20. Now, what I'm about to share with you is like vital for our spiritual growth. Do you know one of the primary things, foundational things, that we have to be willing to do in order to grow in our faith, in order to become more like Christ. We have to admit that when the rubber meets the road, we don't want to be like Christ. 
Christ was all about sacrifice. It was like second nature to him. We are not like that. We don't want to be like that. But being like Christ requires risk and sacrifice. And we don't always want to do that. So why don't we risk and sacrifice to do what's right? We don't want to. And you know something? It's okay to admit that. At least to yourself. It's okay to admit to, admit to yourself that when the rubber meets the road and you find you don't want to, and you know what the right thing to do is, and you don't want to do it, it's okay to admit it. At least to yourself. I don't want to be honest in all of my business practices because I want to make more money. And if I'm not honest in all my business practices, I'll make more money. And that's what I want. Or I don't want to do what's right by my friends and family because I just want to do whatever I want to do. Or I don't want to forgive because it's too painful to let go of the grudge. Or I don't want to be honest on my taxes. I want to keep my money and stick it to the government, right? That's what we want to do. So the next time you have the chance to do what is right, just ask yourself, do I want to take the risk and sacrifice and do what is right? And if you find that you don't want to, just tell yourself that. It's the right thing to do, and I don't want to do it. The problem isn't that God doesn't know that. God already knows that we don't always want to do the right thing. He is well aware. The problem is we don't know it. We think, of course, I always want to do the right thing. No, we don't. We have to admit that we don't want to sometimes. It's okay to admit it. Again, you don't have to tell everybody. Just admit it to yourself. Don't worry. God already knows. James 1.14 says, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So if you find yourself reluctant to do what is right, that is normal. <laughs> Our desires often get the best of us. They often drag us away from what is good and right. Do you want to be the kind of person who does whatever they want? Or do you want to be the kind of person who does whatever is right? And if you find those two questions a little painful, that's okay. Because we don't like the risk and sacrifice to do what's right. Most of the time, we would rather do whatever we want. It's okay to admit it. God already knows. So Esther is reluctant. And Mordecai reasons with her. He reasons with her. And it's worth taking a closer look at his reasoning. Going back to verses 12 to 14, where it says, When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And most of us are familiar with those last few words. Most of us who are familiar with this story know those last few words. For such a time 
as this. But look at Mordecai's reasoning here. Now, have you ever been in such a bind, or could you imagine ever being in such a bind that you desperately needed someone's help? Like, maybe it's a financial bind, and no institution's going to loan you any money, and you only have one friend who can come through for you. Or maybe you're having marriage issues, or you're having um, uh, problems with friends, and it's about to end. Your marriage is about to end, your friendship's about to end, but there's one person who could advocate for you and talk to your spouse or talk to your friend, and somehow maybe you could salvage this thing yet. And when you are desperate, and you only have one option left, and you go to that one person, and they are reluctant to help you, well, you're going to say something like, look, this is over if you don't help me. You are my only chance. Or as one of the most famous lines in all of movie history goes, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Right? Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. The Jews are facing a holocaust. There are hundreds of thousands of lives at stake. Mordecai's only option to stop this is his cousin, Queen Esther. This is his, help me, Queen Esther, you're my only hope moment. And what does Mordecai say? Look at what he says at the beginning of verse 14. If you remain silent at this time, Esther, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. What? It's as if he's saying, you know, if you don't do this, if you don't go to the king and put a stop to this, the Jews will be just fine. What? He doesn't say, if you don't go to the king and put a stop to this, the Jews are going to be destroyed. He doesn't say, if you don't go to the king and put a stop to this, God's chosen people will be terminated. He doesn't say, if you don't go to the king and put a stop to this, it's the end of our people. He says, deliverance for the Jews will come from another place. If you don't go to the king and put a stop to this, the Jews will be okay. What kind of reasoning is that? Why should Esther take a risk if it's not necessary? Mordecai goes on to tell her, you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Maybe you've come to this position for such a time as this. The human reality in this story is that Esther is the Jews' only hope. The divine reality in this story is this is Esther's only opportunity. Esther, this might be the reason you became queen. This is her opportunity to do what she was created to do. Esther, this could be your moment of truth. God's plan, what Mordecai knows, is that God's plan will work out regardless of what we do. What we do will determine our part in it. God's plan will work out regardless of what we do. What we do will determine our part in God's plan. Esther is queen 
at a certain moment, in a certain place, for a certain reason, and now that reason is in front of her, will she be the one who brings forth deliverance for all, or will she be the one who brings down her own destruction? She has the chance to do what's right. It's her moment of truth. Ephesians 2 says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We find ourselves in this place at this time for this for a reason. God's plan will work out regardless of what we do. What we do will determine our part in it. Every month, week, day, God puts good works in front of us. Our chance to do what is right. They are our little moments of truth. And it's tempting to think, well, yeah, okay, fine, but it's not like we're preventing a holocaust. Just want to remind you something that Jesus said. Whoever can be trusted with a little can be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. Every month, every week, every day, God puts good works in front of us. They are our little moments of truth. What part in God's plan will you play? Because a time is coming when we will have a big moment of truth. And if we're not faithful with our little moments of truth, what makes us think we'll be faithful with the big ones? We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And when we take the step of faith to do the right thing, we have to remember our reliance on God. Esther decides to do what is right, but she doesn't do so lightly. She's going to need some help. And so in the book that doesn't mention God once, these next verses are as close as we're going to get to any kind of reference to God in the book. Verses 15 to 17, where it says, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Now, normally in Scripture, if you're going to read about fasting, you're going to read about prayer. Prayer and fasting go together. But this is the book where God is in the background. So they just fast. There is no praying mentioned. But the principle remains. We can't just do what's right and think everything's going to be okay. We need to do what is right, and then we need God to show up. And I've been living by a certain principle a lot lately. And that principle is do the work and ask God to show up. Our new associate pastor is in town, Devin Rook. He starts this week. Super excited about that. When we started the associate pastor search over a year ago, early on the search team did two things. We planned out what we were going to do. We had like an eight to a ten step list of what we were going to do. So we came up with a plan. And we prayed. And throughout the search process, we worked the plan. Did not deviate from the plan. 
And part of that plan was advertising the position within the denomination. And that's where Devin saw it posted. And Devin told me why he was interested in the position when he saw it posted. You see, in 2019, a group of us went to help with a conference for Iranian Christians with one of our missions partners, Words of Hope. In 2019, Devin was on staff with Words of Hope. And so Devin was on that trip with our group in 2019, and he got to know some of us from TFRC a little bit. And because he got to know some of us, and we must have been on good behavior, when he saw our position listed, he called me to ask about it. And he told me that if he wouldn't have met us in 2019, he wouldn't have called to inquire about the position. It was because he met us in 2019 that he is our associate pastor in 2022. I just want to point something out. The search team started its work early 2021. God showed up starting in 2019. He was two years ahead of us. Sounds about right. When you find yourself in a moment of truth, it's okay to say to God, God, if I'm going to do what's right, I need you to show up. And then expect God to show up. It says on our wall, the gospel is real. The gospel changes everything. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. And because of the gospel, while Esther might have only gone one chance, when you mess up in your moment of truth, Jesus is going to give you another one. For Esther, everything works out. You can read about it in the rest of the book. It's only 10 chapters. I would encourage you to read it. But for Esther, everything works out. I'm not sure what would have happened to Esther if she would have failed in her moment of truth. But if we fail in our moment of truth, do not despair. Jesus is going to give you another one. I once had a man who was in his 70s at the time. He came up and talked to me. What he wanted to talk to me about was that when he was in his 20s, he felt God calling him into missions. And he ignored that call. Never went into missions, never did a mission trip, never did anything missions related. And so he was talking to me about that. And he said to me, he said, so do you think I missed my call? And I told him, yeah, I do think you missed your calling. But you want some good news? God has another calling for you. Don't worry about the calling you missed when you were in your 20s. Look at the calling God's giving you right now. Don't focus on the call behind you. Focus on the call ahead of you. God's plan will work out regardless of what we do. What we choose to do will determine our part in God's plan. Throughout our lives, our moments of truth shape us. How have you shaped your life? Will we be people defined by doing whatever we want? Or will we be people defined by doing what is right in God's eyes? There are still moments of truth coming for us. I believe that God continues to call each and every one of us. Following God's call is never easy. It requires risk. It requires sacrifice. It's not easy. It is worth it. Please pray with me.
And Lord, again, we thank you for the calling you continue to place upon our lives. Lord, sometimes we respond, sometimes we ignore, but we thank you for the grace that you keep calling and calling and calling. Lord, I would ask that you would give us the eyes to see the moments of truth in front of us and that you would give us the wisdom and courage to as best as we can do what is right in your eyes. And Lord, for the moments when we fail, help us receive your forgiveness, get up and ask you, okay, what's next? We thank you for your love and grace and it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So receive God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.